Hi, my name is Mad Moore, and you're listening to Paper Cuts, and it's a nice gray, wet morning. It's a nice gray, wet morning, and we're on the road. Mad Moore and I are driving to Ann Arbor. <laughs> um, where are we going? We're going to Hollanders. Um, I can't tell you when Hollanders was established, but it is an independent paper and a book art store in Carytown in Ann Arbor. Um, it's a great little place. And if you're not anywhere near Talos, it's a really great place. <laughs> yeah, so Talos being the East Coast uh, wonderful book arts, uh, book cloth, paper supply store. Um, this is really fun as all the episodes of this season of Paper Cuts have been recorded on the road, but this is very literally on the road <laughs> as we're driving. So, Mad Moore is an artist, a graphic designer, and an educator here in Adrian, Michigan. Um, Mad, what do you do in Adrian? Where is Adrian? How can you visually describe where it is on the mitten without having to hold up your hand? I was just going to say that's really tricky because that's how I inform people about my geographical location all the time. And then they look at me like I'm somewhat crazy. Um, hang on. Uh, we are in the southeast corner of Michigan. We're about 45. That's a That's a generous 45. We're about 50 minutes away from Ann Arbor. We're about... 40 minutes away from Celine. If anybody knows where that is, probably not. We're about an hour and 10 south of Detroit, like just directly south. And if you go, um, and if you're in Toledo and you go northwest, we're about 40 minutes from there. So we're kind of in this strange little pocket near Lake Erie, um, but not quite on any lake in particular. And you are a faculty member at Siena Heights University, correct? Yes, that is correct. And what do you profess? <laughs> I profess a lot of things. Um, I, uh, usually my professions are sort of pro-offered with grunts and grumbles in return. But I, I teach printmaking and book arts. I teach an introductory lip introductory level class and then I teach a stacked advanced class um, I also teach foundation a foundations class I could teach that with an art historian named Peter Barr and we kind of have had a lot of freedom to mix things up in there so that's sort of nicely prepared a lot of students for a variety of medium between 2d 3d and 4d um, so time-based work as well and I teach a course in user experience design and user interface design, which next semester is going to be two classes, and I'm super jazzed about that. I think one of, the, one of the things I really like about your teaching load is that it also highlights your multifaceted practice. Like, I know of you as a book artist and an installation artist, but you also have this history as a designer and as a graphic designer um, before getting in, into academia. Um, how would you describe yourself as an artist? <laughs> That's so not fair. <laughs> um, hang on, let me set this, the cruise control for 55 so I don't go speeding and getting a ticket and then describing my practice. <laughs> um, I would say, I, I think I've always had a hard time sort of pigeonholing myself into one category, and it's proven true both in teaching and in e exhibiting. Um, just because I think 
growing up, I reference this a lot, but I, I went to Montessori school and we were sort of encouraged to try everything and explore, you know, walk around the classroom, pour weird liquids into jugs, um, count beads, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like just kind of do everything that was tactile. So I think that my early days were really influenced by that philosophy and also that of like, as you get to be an older student in the classroom, you're really turning to the younger students and you're uh, mentoring them and trying to help them with anything that they're working on. So I think, I think ultimately that has sort of been my philosophy um, and that's found its way into working with a lot of tactile material even when I was a graphic designer and scanning things back in and just trying to trying to make what's on the screen look a little bit more um, true to life. Um, not in like a skeuomorphism way because I don't really follow that uh, brand of designing very much, but definitely in a way where you feel like you would want to um, lift it off of a screen and bring it into your pocket and put it somewhere valuable. So um, I guess I would say that I'm, I'm like a graphic designer who thinks and operates in the, in the real world. So I think in layers, you know, I think, I think the layering gets back to printmaking. Um, but if you think of like layers in a Photoshop file, it's pretty much the same thing there too. Um, I am speeding up now, so my brain <laughs> just yeah. changed, of course. Um, I, I guess I would also say that I really, oftentimes I'll find myself, because I am so sort of book and design oriented, I try to allow myself to do some things that in my mind are messy or that I can't control. So oftentimes that's like... Um, writing in rules that people where people will uh, break them intentionally <laughs> or do something that I didn't expect and I have to deal with that outcome or that situation um, so that's probably influenced a lot by I think that's why I feel very comfortable in the classroom every day is a like a fun challenge um, yeah so the way you described me is absolutely perfect a jack of all trades a mad of all trades, a uh, <laughs> play the day as it comes and um, find a way to sort of export into the world as opposed to just putting everything into a digital cloud space. And you also came to graphic design uh, through an education in book arts and printmaking. Oh, I thought you were going to say very green. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to agree with you. Yes, I did. Uh. But you came to the field from outside of the field, I guess. And I'd like to get a little bit more into your arts education. Like, what got you into art in general and why the practices you ended up adopting? Um, I guess I always, you know, I was always drawing. I was always painting. My parents were, We, I mean, again, this is kind of a... I find that for my colleagues who are sort of in their um, mid-30s, I'm just going to identify my age there, that it's a really interesting time because we grew up really without a lot of um, technological 
anything in the, in our houses. I mean, maybe some people were early adopters, but I think my, my parents got like a really late gateway computer and I was far more interested in like the cow packaging than I was the actual computer. Um, it served as like a big paperweight on a desk for us. So I, I would say that um, when, when technology really started becoming more and more important, you know, I, I went to a liberal arts school. I didn't have, um, I went to Denison University. I, I didn't, we didn't have a program in place at that time which had a distinct graphic design program. Um, and I think that we were far more focused on um, the, the traditional fine arts. So painting, drawing, printmaking, sculpture, um, fa uh, fiber arts, and uh, ceramics. I don't want to forget anybody, so I'm sorry if I did. Um, we did have book arts, but at the time I wasn't really, I just wasn't really like focused on it. I was really a sort of thinking more traditional printmaking. So I was trained in intaglio. I was um, really trained to, to do screen, pr screen printing. Um, and I've, um, I guess I would say that I didn't, I didn't have a lot of those digital tools in place, so I had to learn everything. Like everything that I was doing, I had to just sort of scramble to do. Yeah. Or I was, I was um, reading as much as I could. I mean, we had the internet, but <laughs> I don't, I, you know, quite honestly, I was probably poking around for photos of Paul McCartney instead of, you know. <laughs> actually <laughs> using it in an intentional way yeah. um i i think not that sounds like i'm a stalker um i i really i really think that um go back to the question is what i really think so i was wondering what got you into into artwork in general oh. but also like what got you into printmaking oh. i i mean i that's a tricky question, and I don't mean to play devil's advocate. Yeah. I think that um, when what got me into printmaking, if I'm really blunt, is that I had a professor, Ron Abram, who was very, very, very um, loved what he did. You know, he was somebody who was always making plates himself and always um, printing, always drawing. And his enthusiasm was what really got me to want to do printmaking. And so I always try to remember that because I think if anybody wants to do printmaking, I hope that it's just because there's a natural like excitement about being in the classroom or being in that space or, you know, printmaking too is about community. So I, as a, as a printmaker, you have to lift blankets together or you have to help somebody hold a screen while you pull, you know, um, if, if they're not in C-clamps or, you know, you, you're just, you're operating in a way where you're always trying to think about your fellow printmaker. And I think that that was really appealing to me because I like working in groups. And that's probably why I'm also teaching UX UI because I really just like, I like brainstorming as a, as a community. Um, I think every artist needs their quiet thinking time to really push through some maybe more critical ideas. So for me, that's sort of the space where I'm thinking maybe about book arts more, um, more than printmaking. Yeah. 
but the yeah I would say Ron is the was the first influence and then in terms of like identifying printmaking as a medium um I I think <laughs> like I wonder how many lives I have lived or will live because I have so many interests in so many different disciplines that it's very hard to just say that I am that I arrived at this thing um, independent of all the other things. Yeah. After Denison, um, you went right into grad school, correct? I did. I did. Um, you know, I was looking at a lot of things. I was thinking about a Fulbright. Um, I had studied abroad my junior year of college. I had gone to Goldsmiths uh, in London for about, it was like a good chunk of months. Um, I was there for a very long time, close to, it wasn't a year, but it was close to a year. And yeah, after undergrad, I, I felt like I was really interested in these modes of surveillance because I was fascinated by all the cameras they were putting up at the time in London as a sort of a, um, a safety measure. And I wasn't so sure that, it, again, it was sort of like pre, um, pre-technology in a lot of spaces. Um, even as we're driving, like I think about the, the, cam- you know, the cameras that are attached to stoplights and um, the tickets that anonymously get sent in the mail to drivers if you, if you run a stoplight. Now I probably should slow down because we're speeding through a 40 zone. Um, but I do think about that. It's like the, the, where choice is no longer a choice or where the citizen is influenced by, um, some level of pressure to decide an action for them. Um, and those systems occur in all kinds of spaces and ways, but I was just very interested in how, how technology is growing so fast in a way that we can't really, and I think I'm still very interested in that, um, but from a different angle now. Uh, basically how tech is, is, um, is growing faster than perhaps we have time to ask a lot of important questions about it. So where did you end up going to grad school? <laughs> oh yeah, grad school. That's right. You asked a question about grad school. Um, and I went down the tech road. Uh, when, when did I go to grad school? Was that the question? Uh, when and, and why? Why? <laughs> oh, why? Why do that to yourself? Yeah. Um, well, it was 2008. <laughs> and if any of you can remember... Um, out there in the listener's sphere. Um, 2008 was a very fun economic year. Um, I didn't actually know that at the time because I had applied in 2007. So I was, I was very not aware of the imminent collapse of our system, um, financial system. But I, I, I just was, I had all these ideas that were exploding in my head. Um, like I said, I had just gotten, kind of gotten back from London. I was starting to make a lot of sort of interdisciplinary work, so I was very interested in sound and light and tech, and, and that sounds like it's a very far ways away from printmaking, which it, in a way it was. Um, and I, I just felt like I had more elbow space to expand into. 
um, like I like I was just bursting out of a chrysalis, and um, I was just ready. I was ready to talk with more people and have more time to just make because, as as anyone who's been in school knows, especially if you go to a liberal arts school, um, you can have a pretty solid. Um, set of courses for your own discipline but then you're also you're also taking other things and you're being influenced by other things and um I was I for a while I was trying to complete a double major in art and geology (laughs) (laughs) talking about many lives so I I was at that point where I recognized that like I couldn't do a lab science all the time and do a studio art practice all the time um, so, so yeah, becoming an adult and having choices, it's hard. <laughs> but I, I sincerely uh, wanted time to just be in the studio and be reading and be researching. And I also knew that um, though Denison has a really great library, um, WashU has an uh, outstanding um, arts, arts and architecture library. And they were art and architecture are sort of housed within the same um, area, umbrella. And so there was just so much rich material that I wanted to dig into. So, And I, I actually had done my, my due diligence. I had researched all of the schools I wanted to go to, and I had, um, you know, reached out to professors that I was thinking of working with. Um, I really, you know, gravitated towards a few people, um, and made sure that I, I went and visited them and had all of the, you know, the, the first time awkward conversations that come with, (laughs) like, introducing yourself and really trying not to seem nervous, and, um, I was, I was 21 at the time, so it was a, it was kind of a big moment for me. I had gone, from a relatively small town um, for high school to a still small town but has a college of 2200 for college and then it was like I think I just graduated my way up in terms of where I was living and what I was doing so yeah grad school just seemed like a good next step both um, in terms of my work and just in terms of my personal life is that when you started to get more into both installation-based works as well as book arts? Yeah, I think I discovered, again, back to sort of the group work, I think I discovered that people could do things a lot better than I can. And, I mean, I always knew that, but it was fun to be in a studio space where somebody was an adept builder with materials that are like wrought iron, you know, <laughs> or, or someone who can code or somebody who is... Um, just really understand systems that I didn't I didn't know or didn't really have time in my two-year practice to um, fully understand and that that gets back to choices it's like you know we could choose to to try and study all of these things but at a certain point you do have to focus a little bit on the thing that you can be a bit of an expert at but broadly knowledgeable about a lot of other things and then employ ask beg <laughs> uh, m- you know, make apple pie for or cookies or whatever for the people who can additionally help you make work. I like doing that. Like, I like reaching out to people. I like meeting people. 
I like um, finding ways to join forces to make something bigger and better. Or smaller and better. <laughs> that too. So we've talked a lot about like, how you like to work in the studio or how you like to work with people. What were some of the, the themes or ideas that you were exploring in grad school? Well, I think I, you know, I, I was still like on this surveillance kick. I, in, I didn't need to represent it so literally, but I, but I think my mentors were really trying to push me away from like something I had done prior to. Um, I went through a lot of starts and stops, and I just think I made a lot of wonderfully bad work. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Like, just total, um, I think my work was, um, in a way, I mean, everybody gets into grad school, and you think, yes, uh, either you're the person who just, like, keeps making the exact same thing you've always made, which is so boring, or you start to try, you think, I'll try everything new, and then you realize, like, I don't know what I'm making, I don't know why I'm making this, and so it opens up, like, a whole new way of seeing yet again um I think I I was I don't know I I um I just wanted to play a lot and sometimes the playing looked like it like I was making no work but I was always thinking so I was thinking about these ideas of um and I'll try and keep this brief because this is the part where I don't I don't like listening so um I guess I was just thinking about how do I take something, make something out of it, and then take the remnant of that and turn that into a new project. So I called a lot of my pieces like generations of things because I was thinking of humans and how, though we are distinctly different humans from, say, our parents or our grandparents or relatives of any sort, we do carry a lot of sort of formed habits with us from those people. So... Yeah, I thought of my uh, projects as, like, just that you can't escape the the thing that came before. Um, And I really became super interested in in Fluxus art at the time um, and the Fluxus artists. So I I think pretty much everything from the late 50s through the early 70s was capturing my attention pretty fully. Um, I liked, you know, starting to think of games. Um, I got so heavy into thinking about games that I was starting to think about the base of games, which is play, and then approaching that from both sort of, um, like, a sort of a psychological point of view um, to a sports point of view <laughs> to um, to just ins- inspecting human behavior sort of an anthropological point of view so I was doing I mean I'm not even sure my I'm not even sure anybody knew what I was doing um (laughs) I I was just really deep in reading and deep in thought and deep in research and then would make small gestures out of that so and then whenever you graduated you moved straight to New York is that correct yeah yeah why why New York (laughs) uh what were you doing there? <laughs> well, okay, I after grad school I went to Berlin for a summer. And um it was part of the WashU program, so it wasn't like I just picked up and went and was that adventuresome. I actually 
I, I was part of a summer program and on the way I thought well it'd be fun to see friends as I do that and I um, I asked a friend if I could stay with she and her husband for um, probably too long <laughs> like what's the saying um, fish and guests stink after three days so I, I sort of exceeded my not they were lovely and kind but I was starting to feel guilty for my plans um, of staying that long but um, in those 10 days we really bonded and had a lot of fun and I went to Berlin and while I was over there they said well do you want to like rent an apartment that's a little bit bigger than the one we have and uh, you just join us in New York and I thought why not sure like <laughs> uh, no job no um, concrete idea of what I wanted to do and yes <laughs> I will take that spare bedroom and figure it out so I think <clears throat> I think that's something that I have advocated for in the classroom a lot I say you know just try something because you don't know how it will turn out and you definitely do, you can't decide that it didn't work before you've actually done it so um, that is my true philosophy. Try something, and if it doesn't work out, it's not for lack of trying, or it's not for lack of, you know, um, being being courageous enough to having taken that first step. So, um, I I did. I moved to New York on a whim. I did not have that. Some people have like the childhood dream, like I'm gonna move to New York, and I'm gonna live in the end. You know the. Empire State Building. I saw Sleepless in Seattle, and or the, yeah. So I did not. I I really just sort of through friends who were extremely extraordinarily generous in inviting me and helping me through that first month. Um, I just ended up there. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> through another friend, I ended up getting kind of like a a design focus job, and. Um, we had an ad agency, and I was doing all the odd jobs as well, like babysitting and, um, or if we want to sound fancy, au pair. Um, I, <clears throat> yeah, I, I really don't, I, I guess I always told myself, if you are any place and you're involved in an artistic practice, you are doing really well. <laughs> So as long as I have some mode of creative expression that I'm able to share or participate in, then I, I, I don't need to have like the same ownership of the material. Um, I had made a piece in grad school called uh, In and Around Sea, which was based off of Terry Riley's um, In Sea, and it is a participatory installation um, where viewers sort of enter the space and they see these big lines on the floor and they're not really sure why there are lines and um, they also hear music coming kind of from the like the, some some corner there needs to be a corner in this architectural setup um, or like a plane planar shift uh, and so so people enter in they see these lines they kind of follow them towards the musicians or the music and they quickly recognize that there's like a screen on the wall that the musicians are looking at. And it turns out that the 
there's a webcam in the ceiling of the space, in the main space, uh, under which the, the viewer participants have passed through. And um, they've, their heads have been recorded on these lines as like little dots. So in essence, the, uh, the, the, the participants are making the music because they themselves are the staff. They're the score. And the, the musicians are just playing them. So that that piece was something that in New York I tried to like. Um, I I just met an amazing friend. Um, she is extremely extraordinarily talented. I met her at my first job in New York, yeah. uh, randomly. And um, Sugar Vendel is the uh, she's she's a composer. She is the head of NCP, which is the Nouveau Classical Project. Um, an ensemble in New York. Um, I want to give a big shout out to her because she makes things happen and she is just exciting and um, innovative. And so anyway, um, Sugar and I collaborated on bringing In and Around Sea to Life in New York for two weeks as a solo project. And I think that that was like another driving thing. Like if I'm going to be in New York, I'd like to have a solo show. So we spent nights writing grants. You know, I'd go home from a... It was another job I had. I'd go home from that job and just write <laughs> at night. I was so social. Um, and, yeah. Um, I turned the wrong way. <laughs> no, I've been distracting you with this microphone in your face. Yeah, I'm on the way to the Detroit airport right now. So we don't know what I'm so glad that you're uh, you have so much to talk about because the questions that I'm forming are pre-coffee questions <laughs> round two of this interview on the way home from collecting uh, maybe from <laughs> you, okay we'll, we'll see we'll see how much we cover you, you did not say that <laughs> earlier surprise um, but in and around sea in yeah. New York, your solo show. Yeah. So I am very proud to say that it was my solo show. Um, it was at Gallery 128 on the Lower East Side. And um, it was just so cool. It was like there were all kinds of people through Sugar who decided to um, so, so generously participate in this thing. Um, and <laughs> people had kind of like a morning or an afternoon or an evening slot. So the gallery was opened a lot of days of the week, and we somehow managed to figure out how to do that. Um, uh, sorry, we are going, just so everyone's aware, we are going through Saline, Michigan right now. We are, we are in a slow zone, and we are on our way to Ann Arbor. Um, and when Christopher asked me, uh, so, you know, is, is the, with the traffic, 
how are we going to really have to, like, you know, do we have to leave early? And I looked at him and blinked, and I said, traffic? What, what is traffic? <laughs> this, this, is, this is Michigan. <laughs> I mean, there is traffic, but not like L.A. or... Very different rush hours than around the uh, the DC area that we were encountering before. Rush hour. Um, anyway, back to in and around C. It was just a. It was probably one of the most fun times I've had ever making art because it was it was so many people and once it got underway, it was really not that stressful. Um, it, I mean, I think the stress is in the planning, but uh, yeah, people were playing these wonderful sort of organic pieces based on who did and who didn't come into the gallery and when I forgot to add this um, Gabe Taubman is uh, a very talented uh, programmer and just genius <laughs> I can't give him enough props for this but um, he also wrote in a computer program uh, called in and around C++ and so he was, or maybe it's called NC++. Um, if you go to his website, you will find it. But he um, and Gabe uh, wrote this script that would calculate, he, he worked on it for months, he would calculate the value of a person's body on the staff, right? So like, it, you know, taking, taking their sort of head and shoulders into account and then also accounting for like arms, <laughs> yeah. if someone stuck their arm out, like would that be a hold, a musical hold, or um, anything like that? So he was really playing around with figuring out how to tell the computer that this was a note for this measure that would be assigned a musical instrument, like a violin or a piccolo, and that that note would uh, be played, assign it a rhythm as well, and that that note would be played for. Uh, a certain number of measures yeah. and so he I don't know I it's a piece of magic <laughs> um, so that was actually like there were speakers set up to play in C++ um, while the actual musicians weren't there but while the gallery was still open so if someone stumbled onto the staff they could they could like hear music start up and they could like sort of understand what they were doing to it because as they wandered back in space they would see like his program and the the visual representation of that the overlay of like what his program was doing on the screen cap show up on on the tv that, really that sounds incredible yeah and also like just highlighting your ability to actually pull people together to make something large happen. Well, again, I, 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 <laughs> I'm just stumbling. I need coffee. Um, I would say that it takes, it, it's not me pulling people together. It's me being willing to allow a lot of voices to come together um, to each influence a work of art as it needs to happen. I don't think my... I think my my book art projects haven't really tended in that way yet, and I would like to see them go that direction. Yeah. Um, I think that with I, it's hard to it, first of all, it's hard to come up with a framework for of any piece that says 
like here are the rules but they can always they can always be changed or broken i think that's hard to do yeah so maybe that's like the creative impetus that that is is a solo act right but then from there from that framework then other other possibilities emerge so yeah i mean there's a couple things out of this that i want to track and i'll just name them now we can go whichever down whichever path one is uh, your practice of book arts and its relationship to the installations that you've been doing um, and also your interest in music because we've been talking about in and around C oh but yeah. you also <laughs> grew up playing the violin yeah. um, I really wanted to play the cello my mom knows this <laughs> and I um, but I, I think if you're a parent and you're thinking about like lugging a cello around it's a little different than lugging a violin around and by that measure I really probably should have played piccolo or flute um, but there was uh, there was a violin teacher associated with the college that my mother worked at and um, or affiliated with and so that was just kind of like a natural thing to get signed up for um, and I, I did start to really enjoy it and I think um, having that background and just always having played in uh, orchestras and quartets and my friends were all musicians I, I joked at one point that I knew more musicians in New York than I did artists. <laughs> like, I just, those are my people. So I think that there's some underlying theme that will always be sort of running through my work that has to do with an, an attention to music. Um, it may not always be uh, so direct or so obvious, but I look at things rhythmically, yeah. you know? So, and I think of tone a lot. So how does that, and maybe to just to get back to the, the second branch of this, like how do you bring that eye to your, to your book works? Um, I mean, I think there's always a rhythm on a page and I oscillate between wanting to do something that is just like something printed on a page yeah. <laughs> or, um, sorry, hang on just one second. Oh yeah, we have an ironing board to pick up. <laughs> yeah, sorry, gotta go pick up an ironing board <laughs> for my screen I just keep taking my personal effects to the studio if they can be used for art. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this is way better for the students. So, um, yeah, so we have an ironing board and an iron now, so we can uh, cut down um, linen. And it's so cheap to print on cloth. Uh, the, the, of course, the ink doesn't really react like it would with paper, but it's it's a lot. It's like then it becomes like a material that can be really sculptural, too. So, yeah. anyway. Um, I think we were talking about music and bringing your <laughs> interest in music onto the page. We still have not had coffee. <laughs> yeah. We've, we tried. We're trying. The coffee um, shop is not open. Yeah, I just, 
I, I will not say that I am a, uh, an adept musician, nor do I know a lot of music theory, nor do I participate at this moment in any kind of ensemble or band or anything. Um, but I have a deep love of it. Sound. So, I guess we were talking a few days ago about the relationship between the installation works and the, and the books that you've been doing. Um, and I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Like how are those two spaces joined or is one like really documenting and representing one? How do they work with each other? Um, I think like any of us, I'm gonna back up a step because yeah. I was just thinking about how people, um, any, any of those of us who are practicing artists we are represented by our website, essentially. You know, the, the way that people come to our work is generally through the web, you know? Um, I mean, someone might meet you in person and they might really like your personality and then they'll still go to your website to look up your work if they, or more of your work, even if they've seen a body of work that you're working on. Um, so our website's really, carry a lot of weight and they they tell a narrative about who we are and what what our value systems are and um, I think that I had had kind of this past summer I've been really looking at um, how to reformat the way that I'm thinking about my own work and the, the way that I'm representing it to people who might not know me and I really though I though I like um, I, I see printmaking as a tool. I think I am far more of a, of kind of like a designer, and I, I like thinking about the way that I can approach both design and art, mix those two together, and maybe come up with something um, within a space that is both public, so um, an installation where it immerses the body and you're using a lot of your senses, to something that is private, uh, and and not that the book is a private medium. You know, I think zines are incredibly public, um, but I think when you really sit with a book and when you have a moment to reflect and you're deep in thought, that is, that tends to be a private moment. Um, so I think the book can function in many ways. I think if you're standing alone and you're aware of your body in an installation, that can be a very private experience. Um, and they, but I think that, that generally speaking, I wanted the book uh, as an artifact of the installation to reflect like a different way to think about the installation. Um, I didn't want the book to try to replicate the installation. I think I want, I'm, I'm interested in, in producing something that can be um, immersive like that, that then can be sort of like a documentation of that experience but read in a really different way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're back in the Beetle. Hello, we're back. We were just at Hollanders. Hollanders, uh, like I think I said earlier, Hollanders is an independent um, paper supply company and they were established in 1991 which I didn't have for you earlier so there we go 
and this is a really wonderful store. I bought some book cloth. Um, oh, let's be honest. I had to. I had to sort of drag Christopher out because <laughs> I was like, we're on a time crunch here, and I have to teach a class, and um, it's just it's sort of visually overwhelming. Well, it is. I'll yeah. let you describe it because you were in there. Well, it's the just like time. shelves and all this really wonderful book cloth. Like I, if I had my druthers, I'd still just like be there touching all the book cloth <laughs> and laying it out on the table and trying to like see what I wanted to pick up and all the wonderful papers and supplies. Um, we were both talking about things we wanted to add to our studios, either the studios that we're working on at school in our various positions or our own personal studios. And my, I have a lot on my wish list and a lot <laughs> that I refrained from purchasing while I, while I was there. Including bags of small lead pellets. Yeah. <laughs> very necessary actually yeah. <laughs> yes so now since we're on our return trip and we are heading to Siena Heights for the day um, can you tell me a little bit more about your position there and what you're doing and um, why you're interested in education um, I well I kind of I think a lot of people go to graduate school with the thought that they will be teaching at some point I I have always known that I like to, to teach or I like to be in the capacity where I'm um, learning from somebody and they're learning from me, where it's a very, uh, mu very much a give and take, not just a, an imparting of knowledge, but um, a sharing of information. So I, um, the, the job was forwarded to me. I got really excited, uh, but I thought, well, I'm not really sure that I'm ready to leave. I don't think I'm ready to leave New York yet. Um, I'm just getting my, getting into my groove. I know a lot of people at this point. I've been there for a little under five years. And um, yeah, so I had an established community and uh, <laughs> like moving from a giant city to uh, back to what what is like partially my home. Um, I had gone to high school in Michigan, and yeah. I kind of just thought, yeah, like, I would be excited to be teaching. I'm not sure I'd be excited to be living in, mi in mid, you know, I could say mid-Michigan, I'm in the habit of it, but lower eastern Michigan. Um, and so I flew in uh, after, well, as I was interviewing, and um, kind of saw the town, and Mostly what excited me was I, when I walked into the building, the art building at Siena's campus, I, I realized, A, the faculty all really liked each other, which can make or break any situation. Um, and it seemed like everybody wanted to just truly hang out, like be a part of some collective. Um, so in that way, it felt really inspiring. Like, okay, I'll have colleagues who are interested in sharing ideas about art. And that's like your mini sort of graduates, you know, situation yeah. built in. Um, and that they themselves were really practicing artists. Um, big shout out to my colleague, Natalie Lanise, because she is making awesome waves in um, Cleveland, in, um, I mean, everywhere, Akron. Um, she just opened a show yeah, I'm gonna get this wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, I think in 
Phoenix, and she is doing massive installations, massive murals. I want to like congratulate all my my friends who are making because I'm perpetually inspired by them. Um, anyway, so I I was looking at the faculty and I was excited by that. I was excited by uh, our space. I think a space is really critical to how I in how I uh, feel comfortable either teaching or making myself. And this building had, <laughs> it was like everybody had their own little sort of corner to, um, I'm sorry, I'm looking out for traffic right now, so if I'm interrupted, that's fine. Uh, everybody had their own little little area that they could make into their own. We, we have a lot of autonomy at Siena, and that's not always true in every department. So. Coming in, I was told I would be able to um, craft my own curriculum, so really dramatically reshape the way that the printmaking and book arts classes were being taught. I could change the studio space into whatever I wanted, um, and my predecessor had done a really beautiful job of getting some fairly sizable equipment, but I wanted to maybe transform it even more so it would become more of a, a screen printing space. Um, and so there were a lot of opportunities there to just kind of dream big and go for it, just go for it. Uh, and an administration that was supportive of that happening as well. Um, our, we, we talk about being a teaching institution more than a research institution. So. Sometimes, you know, my, my own research is, I don't have as much time for it, but I think that um, whenever I go to conferences or whenever I am out talking to friends or seeing, like Christopher, seeing your space, I, I am I'm perpetually thinking about how I can take that back to the studio, how I can make my students' time in the studio more relevant to what's happening in, out, outside the walls of the studio. Um, so I kind of, it's like, it's like a, a cell, you know, where that membrane is really porous and you still have a wall to the cell, but it's, it's, uh, allowing things to sort of pass in and out of it. Yeah. It's a living and breathing thing. It's not breathing. <laughs> well, maybe it has aeration. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a biologist. You should have good ventilation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, those are called giant windows that we open. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have we have real vent system. I don't want to downplay that, but um, yeah. And and the nice thing about our studio is when I when I inherited it, it had been turned into a green studio. Um, so maybe unlike my situation in in college, where we had a lot of we had more toxic chemicals. There's a man standing in the road. I will slow down so I don't. He's standing right in the road. I don't yeah. know. At least he's wearing green. Okay. Right, well, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, oh there's a giant tree in the road. <laughs> yeah, <thanks. laughs> okay. All right. That thanks. Was unexpected, but Sorry, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, he was not holding up any kind of a sign. He was the sign. <laughs> he had a broom. Yeah, he had a broom. <laughs> that's, that's not enough equipment to handle a tree. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, we're back. What, what, what was I saying? Oh, oh, uh, just that, that um, 
there's just when I when I was interested in teaching, I just didn't want to lose. I didn't want to like be locked in a tower somewhere. This sounds like a Rapunzel story, um, an academic Rapunzel story. Yeah. I didn't. I just didn't want to disappear into like the world of Adrian, Michigan, and then I'm like forever not connected to anybody else. But we have this wonderful thing called the internet, and we also have these wonderful things called phones. And we also have these even more amazing opportunities called conferences. <laughs> and I try to just take advantage of all of that um, to stay in touch. And if anybody who knows me is listening, this is going to sound really hilarious because they'll tell you that I'm not very good with a phone. <laughs> that is true. Uh, in the sense that I kind of still use it like a landline. Like, if you call me, leave a message. I'll get back to you in like probably a day or so. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I I think someone even called me in my office once at school. It was someone working in the registrar's office, and she I picked up because <laughs> I happened to be in there for once, and she was she almost had to like drop the phone. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what to do now. You're you're actually answering. Okay. It's getting a little toasty in here. Yeah. Do you need some air? That would be really nice. How's... Uh, wow, like I don't know what to do. We're in Michigan. Yeah. And... I have not needed it's, any AC. We, or, <laughs> or even just cold air. Okay. Yeah, we've been using, keeping the heat seaters on and... Uh, heat seaters? The seat heaters. <laughs> I actually do have coffee now. I should not be <laughs> mangling my words like this. Yikes! So. Before we kind of like wrap things up for the day, or for this drive, um, since you are in the car, and I feel like this vehicle is such a big part of you, <laughs> can yeah. you can you, you tell me? To talk about vehicles? I would like to know about this Beetle specifically, okay. since it's you are very close to it. I am close to it, so I, <laughs> I just um, this car is like the most amazing vehicle I think I I have ever known, and. Uh, you know, America. We like our cars. Um, my parents have always been big fans of like kind of fun vehicles and uh, they bought this car when I, I think, what happened? There was a, there was a smash up. My dad's Volvo got accordioned. I'm trying to tie it back into book art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got accordion folded. <laughs> Um, he was sitting at a stoplight and someone just reamed right into him. And so as a family of three, we went shopping for vehicles. And um, the Beetle, the, it's, it's a 2000 model. And I just want to like lay out all the facts here. It's a 2000 model and um, so it's a new Beetle, but at this point it's a new old Beetle. It's black, so it's classic, timeless, gorgeous little thing. And um, yeah, my parents just fell in love with the car. I fell in love with the car. I, I begged for them to buy this car. <laughs> and um, it kind of became like the family car. Like it's been, it's gone everywhere. I, I did not have it. I think my mother was driving. I didn't have a car. I was not a, a 
child who got a car at any age until the age of like graduate school. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe I had it like my last year of college, but I took it to graduate school. Um, I so I had it in St. Louis, so it drove everywhere with me from Michigan to St. Louis, and then uh, I drive it across the country and. Um, I then when I moved to New York I decided I wasn't going to take it so my parents took it back they started driving it again and then uh, when I moved back I got it I got it back again but I learned how to parallel park in this car which is essentially like just driving into a spot and you know <laughs> it like knows first because it's that short of a vehicle yeah. um, so it's kind of like cheating and um, it's remarkable you can fold the seats down and because it's like a bubble you can fit a lot of tall things in it that you wouldn't really necessarily expect to just because half of the car is a bubble yeah. uh, the engine is in the front unlike older models where it was in the boot and um, it, it just doesn't need a lot you know you don't have to have all of the, the the bells and whistles. It has heated seats, it has a moonroof, and it has the time, it has the temperature, and everything else is about broken. So it, <laughs> it, has, no, it has no buzzer to tell me that I've run out of gas. Um, in fact, the light to tell me that it is almost running out of gas is broken as well. So I just really focus a lot on the, you know, focus on the the fact that the needle is going down yeah. um, it doesn't tell me if my lights are on and off so if you happen to leave your lights on like I did today at Hollanders on a gray day um, you might run out of battery but really truly I mean it, it goes it runs it is trusty it's a trusty steed I drove it out to New York this summer and it got me up and down all the hills and she's beautiful she has a little vase I mean um, she doesn't make a lot of noise she has a, a, a tape deck right here can you here get that on yeah. me touching the tape deck <laughs> um, and radio and again like you don't need anything else who needs anything else uh, one time I was driving this vehicle this is like turning into car talk I was driving this vehicle and I was putting my window down and it fell. I had a passenger in the passenger seat and we had a, like an hour and 15 minute drive to where we were going. We had just entered the highway. The window just fell into the car. So it was like a giant beetle window gone in this bubble car. And um, <laughs> it was like the dead of winter in Michigan. So. Uh, I was like trying to get around salt trucks and all of the salt was just like pouring oh, in and flurries of snow and <laughs> I was driving like shivering so I'm, I'm you can't see this on the radio but I'm like shaking the wheel right now sorry Christopher <laughs> we're <laughs> doing zigzags on a back road um, yeah so that that was a fun time with the beetle um, uh, my muffler recently almost fell off, but that, that is now okay. Um, yeah, I mean, just, just adventures in this car. And, and funny story, um, a co-worker just sold me a Honda Passport from 1981, which is a little moped. 
and I haven't had a chance to finish fixing it up, um, but I'm really hoping to get on the road with that this summer. And in, in, in the event that this beetle cannot run anymore, for some, I don't even want to say it, because when you say it, it's true. But let's say, let's say my beetle is on loan indefinitely to somebody else. Um, then the passport is going to kick in and you will see Moped Mad riding down the road with her little helmet and her leather boots going probably 35 miles an hour. <laughs> it's not going to be highway worthy, but that's okay. Well, I'm really, really excited for you to get onto the moped. It will make interviews like this way more difficult. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think it'll be a lot of fun. Mad, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to both drive to Hollanders with me and talk to me a little bit about what your work and what you're working on. This has been just a really wonderful few days. Thank you so much. And hopefully, um, you know, if anybody's interested, go to www.madmadmore.com and you can see more new books and more new installations and a lot of other fun stuff. So thank you again. Thank you.